Today, in Random Thoughts from a Therapist, our third option to the emboldened uprising surrounding the school shootings in Texas. This week, social media, the news, and people all across the globe are talking about a gunman who shot and killed 21 people in a single classroom at a school in Texas. I'm going to take a less divided or less dramatic, a less all-or-nothing view to the topic of school shootings, children being murdered, evil in the hearts of people, the right to bear arms, an amendment to the Constitution, guns themselves, health care, and even mental health. And this is all starting to remind me a bit of other uprisings in the U.S. over masks, a different podcast and one that might be considered a bit less serious, assuming the COVID death numbers that give U.S. the high honor of having another first to its proud hat. Hashtag sarcasm. I did a podcast on Pride 2, by the way, of claims to fame to even possibly less serious than guns and people killing people. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in our country. So, more random thoughts from a therapist and a third view. This is a long one, folks. Have a seat. You know, as I listen to the stories and watch the media clips that appear on my phone... There are these groups that can be easily identified as they speak up and they're coming forward to advocate for something that they value prompted by a killer who shot children and teachers in a fourth grade classroom. When these same ones speak of their positions about the state of our country as they go about discussing the death of these children in a fourth grade classroom in Texas earlier this week, some things that they say are telling and the side taking is scary. As the sides develop and the side taking the divisions of the group that says mental health services, now here I ought to be on that side, right, must be funded and improved, and that sick people must be helped so this madness will stop, they say. And the other side developing and side taking and division of a finger pointing group that says People are the problem, not guns. Evil in the hearts of evildoers should not be the basis on which freedoms to protect oneself should be hindered. Leave our guns alone, they say. Look, I live in the Midwest. I spent some time in D.C. and in North Florida. I'm very familiar with the advantages and disadvantages of guns. Oh, I did a podcast on guns and straws a good while back, too. If you want to know how it is that unity in America can come about, plastic straws, turtles, guns, and paper straws, man, it can happen. It may be divisionary, and it is certainly lighthearted in one way, should you choose to give that. Here's my view, listen. Back to this podcast. You'd think that a guy like me would jump right in and advocate loudly for increased mental health services and funding. Look, I'm all about it. I'm either working in community mental health clinic with a hospital or I'm seeing patients online in my private practice. I used to travel between states and offices. I've been working in mental health services and licensed since 2005 in one state. And I'm licensed in three and I am bragging a bit. 
look, it's talk therapy and clinical social work. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not, well, I'm a clinical social worker. That's what I do. But most of my life has been in social services. Like, I've worked in poverty, child welfare. I've taught social work, practice in an office, on-site and online. I've done a lot of work in schools, developing, implementing programs for children. And I've supervised and transitioned a few of them to other providers as well. I like the idea of better mental health. My own anecdotal mental health bandwagon view related to the recent shooting in Texas is that these ones are often the same ones who wish to protect what one could call gun rights. You know, those that say, hey, mental health, mental health, mental health is what we need every time there's a gun shooting and kids and people are dying. How about that? Better mental health will help gun owners do better? That's probably not entirely false, by the way. And then as I anecdotally hear those other ones preaching with some morality of the evil in the hearts of these bad ones who kill with guns, or with their evil as the thinking um, goes, the issue of good and bad appear for this group. Yeah, you might have guessed it. I did a podcast years ago on good and bad thinking, too. Okay, enough podcast promoting, at least for now. Lest I get called out for self-promotion, sort of like the multi-million viewed post of one politician who yelled this week at another politician at his news conference over this gun shooting thing. They, too, were discussing the murderous moments uh, over an hour before help entered that classroom of the killer and the dead children. Yes, it was more than an hour before the gunman and the shot-up children were finally aided by law enforcement. That's still an unfolding flash of news right now. But imagine, it took them an hour. Next, there's gonna be a group, just based upon what I just said, Blaming the police. Well, hell, for just about everything. Is there a third take on the police anywhere? Yep, I talked about the murderous officer of a black man who in court hugged the brother of the deceased even as she was sentenced to jail for her murderous moments as a cop. Starting to see a theme with these random thoughts here. Like, most of them center around the larger political arena. I guess I think that somehow macro issues, meso, like a little bit smaller issues, and even micro, all the way down to these single anecdotal stories, might all be related. Or maybe my view is to look at our own wayward thinking that divides us, where the world of double binds contribute to mental illness for sure. Yes, the cops probably do not have any good there. I said the word reason for not entering an elementary school where a shooter just unloaded a gun on children. What were the police thinking? To me, it sounds like they were scared too. There were guns going off behind those locked doors at the school. And then this thought, the children. How many lay there dying while the police waited for a key? A key is what they needed to get into the classroom to stop the killer? Look. My view there is that the police were scared too. Guns kill people. And besides, if the police get into an active shooter scenario too soon and they shoot somebody, 
they very well could be in court for a murder charge of their own. I'm not making excuses. I'm looking at alternative perspectives other than good and bad people and who to blame. And then you have to look at the city being sued. I think my first podcast here looked at lawyering waste and yet some other side-taking babble-jabble of the times. Where, like I said, quote, millions and millions and millions, end quote, of dollars were the supposed rectifying solution to some other bad behavior. Hang on, that's not a side-taking statement there. I'm asking the listener, you, hopefully being open to third options in the scenarios that seem to upset us all, looking at the very reasons that law enforcement would hesitate to act in a school where kids are and guns are going off, people are dying. Again, fear has to be a player here. Shooting too soon, even as a police officer, is not going to go well in our country right now either. It's a fear. It's fear. Most all of this is fear, I would argue, by even the ones who are commissioned to carry weapons so that they can protect and serve. And there's another irony. Carrying weapons to protect and serve? It has to be fear as a factor here. It's not evil or stupid people. So, so, so much fear. I know, I know, the next moment is about the police should have known. And had they entered this sooner, this would have been stopped. I'm not sure that's true, but reverse engineering also is yet another podcast I've done. It doesn't work in the human process. What they should have known simply wasn't at the time. And even if it could have been known, they didn't have the information then that you and I have right now, by the way. Had the police barged in, and I will go on record to say again that I think as a matter of doing their jobs that they should have as emergency law enforcement personnel risked their lives and done just that, Had they done it, though, what they could have faced was their very own murder conviction while attempting to tackle crime. You see, even the blunders of law enforcement, whether it's fear, chain of command, following giving out orders, fearing the next multi-million dollar lawsuit for supposed more bad cops who kill based upon prejudice and bias, can even be seen in an alternative non-side-taking view of things. Look, I know there is a systemic bias in law enforcement, and in the entire world, It's taken full hold of the right and wrong dammers to guns and mental illness and evildoer claims that now consume our broken hearts. Yeah, there's a podcast about those cops and their systemic biases. You can listen to that too if you need more on it. Let's think about that for a moment, our broken hearts. Think about your own right now. If you cry or tear up, it's okay. Mothers, fathers, children, gun owners, politicians, lawyers, religious people, atheists, gay, bi, trans, pan, non-binary, or straight, our hearts, this is even scientific to say it, are broken over the death of children by a shooter who was himself only days past being a child. On a day earlier this week, think about this, pay attention to your own sadness. I'm paying attention to mine. Eight, nine, ten, and eleven-year-old boys and girls and children went to school to the fourth grade to be with two fourth grade teachers. Two teachers went too and they were suddenly greeted by a gunman who for 35 minutes as one teacher who lived in that 
disastrous time in the school said, shot and killed little, little bitty ones. And those two teachers too. Think again about that for a moment. Isn't that where we ache? I didn't say think about whose fault it is, even if you might be. I didn't say think about what it takes to stop this, even if you might be. I didn't say call your senator or sue your police force, even if you might be thinking that way. I didn't say sit in silence or to pray, even if you think that's right. I didn't say that the lobbyists or the NRA must be fought or considered or shut down here either. I said, please think about our collective broken hearts as you consider those kids, those teachers, and those moments. Just think about that for a moment. It's okay if you're crying right now, whoever you are. This is terribly, terribly sad. No matter on which side you sit. And I might suggest again, as I have in all of my podcasts, that the side-taking is one of the very reasons we cannot get to a third option, and all sides must confront that, that side-taking is a problem for changes to begin. Funny how a softening of a heart might help you here, might help me speak. And what about our children? Look, here's another alternative psycho-babble-jabble-like view of things. I'll get to the psycho-babble-jabble thing near the end of the podcast today. Our children, or theirs if you don't have any, but you probably know some, like them or not, they are seeing and hearing all of this stuff that you and I are talking about and our country is raging about. As I sat at lunch this week with my mother... She was torn in some tears of her own over this news that had happened that day. One of my young family members was there, and he happened to join us. This little guy is nine or ten years old. He walks in to the TV room. (laughs) Imagine that. There's those things called TV rooms in our country. Anyway, this little guy... The age of some of the kids that died, that were killed, that were murdered, that were shot. He watches the news. He's looking in the TV room, leaving the lunchroom table, where police are moving about, lights are blinking, the cars and trucks are in the background, people are hugging each other and wailing. This little kid's brain was taking it all in. They, the children, they're watching all of this, you know. But here's this. Children not only are watching the news and getting notifications from the apps without their permission to hijack the devices that we supposedly own. They are watching the news, too. It seems against their very will. And what about the other violence they not only watch, but they play in? Look at those words violence they play in? Yeah, some for 60 and 70 hours a week, I hear it, by the way, in my practice. 
in the virtual world where they pay to play or some are fortunate enough to find it free. They pay to play to pretend to kill in vivid games with quote-unquote friends from all over the U.S. and some even the world. These little ones, and I'll talk about the age of little ones in a moment, another view, probably a little hard to take. These little ones are playing while their brain is being exposed to virtual reality where killings of others, mature warnings are legally required to allow this stuff you know, legally required to allow games for kids to play in play that is so digitally enhanced that the imagery of it all becomes their curious delight. Wow, the VR was so real it was scary, they might say. They delight and chat about how vivid it was as they wear their VR goggles. They play these games where body parts are shooting and cutting and flying about. It's enhanced. And they jump back in and they play it some more. Even if the mature adult and the 17 or older warnings are heated, a 17-year-old brain, an 18-year-old brain, It isn't ready for what it might all mean for at least another 10 years when the prefrontal cortex gets fully developed. So yeah, a kid is playing games that kill so vividly in enhanced VR glasses that's cool and people wonder where in the world a child gets the idea that killing is okay? It's just another thought, random enough, from a therapist considering the possibility that there is more than one side to this issue that has seemingly at least for another trending moment in American culture. Embolden us all. Yet again. Yet again? Yeah, if I um, read my own permission granted push notifications for the news sources that I trust, they're have been like 900 shooting incidents in not so many years past. So again, and possibly as many as 3,500 people have been killed in some form of a mass shooting in the past 12 or 13 years or so. The numbers may be wrong. I admit I may be wrong in those numbers. But look, we're talking about little ones who were shot up in Colorado, New York, Texas. I don't know where all, but 3,500 people killed by guns in mass-like shootings in 12 years? 900 different times, maybe? Okay, even if the data is wrong, or even if it is biased, and it is, we're talking about, really, in this podcast, that 21 that were killed by a killer, a gun, and the policies that ensure something like that to even be possible and the people who died just a few days ago. 21 dead by one shooter or one gun is enough. So whether we debate the bias or debate the argument over how many shootings and how many people died and what caused it or who caused it, this podcast is looking at at least the 21 and today's news and this week's news Hopefully next week's news. Not really. We're 21 or dead. 
No, look, it might even be more than 21, I think. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here about that too, but consider that therapists are human as well, but the killer is dead too. So maybe that's 22, I don't know. The shooter, that is, is dead as well. Oh, already, we're ready to move on, right? As we go about not saying his name, as we go about focusing on the innocent ones, inadvertently we forget that he too was and is a human, and he did not act alone. You see, he had a gun. And the phrase evil in his heart diminishes this 18-year-old to an undeserving bad person as if his death is deserved. Death is deserved? Ah, yes. Another podcast I did about electric chairs and gas chambers is out there, too. Deserving death. Look, we've given time and thought to the children and very little to the two teachers. Can you imagine being them? Almost none to the killer. I'll get back to that. Teachers are asked to run schools without counseling programs. Still, in 2022, there are schools all over the United States that don't have mental health counseling programs. These teachers. Can you imagine it? I've done many social posts about school counseling programs a number of times on my own social media where the profiling of those who might kill actually can be completed. It's risky to profile kids in schools who could blow people up and kill themselves and others, but there are profiles and there are tools to do it. Back to this, teachers are asked to be moms, dads, coaches, nurses, social workers, child protection agencies, counselors, which they are not those things, for other people's kids. They're teachers every day. Those two teachers who had all of those same jobs that day in that school, they're dead too. And did you hear that? That the spouse of one of the teachers who died, he died hours after his wife was shot this week in a fourth grade elementary school classroom. He died moments after he delivered the flowers to the funeral home where his wife was being laid out or laid to rest, as they call it. Isn't that something? Laid to rest assumes a benefit to death. Resting, oddly enough. If you're getting angry, that's okay too. The spouse of one of those murdered teachers died after leaving a set of flowers for his beloved a broken heart for real. And there is actually some science about literal broken hearts from tragedies where people lose loved ones, usually within about 24 hours. Our hearts are not anything broken like the spouse of the fourth grade teacher who was killed this week. That spouse died after leaving flowers for his wife. That one who was the teacher in the classroom when her other children, her class, was being shot up by a teenager. And here it goes. Not an evil one, but a sick one. Hang on a minute. Before you click the off button. Sick? Do you suppose that Random Thoughts from a Therapist Podcaster is attempting to place moral equivalence here? Maybe he's a bleeding heart when he talks about a shooter is sick. 
Oh my gosh, the words that we use to judge each other. A bleeding heart liberal who just doesn't get it? Maybe not. Maybe. I know what I'm doing when I say that listeners who can tolerate seeking an alternative to anything but dividing us humans, one from another, is an alternative view. But it has some reasoning behind it. Maybe I'm saying things that are not in the news. Maybe I'm saying things that doesn't get us all excited to race and check back and check back and check back to see who we can fight against and be pissed off at next. I don't have thousands and millions of followers. Maybe I'm saying things that thousands and thousands of therapists confidentially and privately deal with every day in their jobs of treating people, sadly, in an often insurance-driven dysfunctional healthcare, aka bank care system, trying to keep people from killing themselves and others. And I'm talking about therapists doing this like every day. about the healthcare podcast or listen to it another time also sorry couldn't forget look there has to be more than sides to something like harm sick people has to be a part of this story as well I'm going to come back to that again here's the thing whether you're side on like I hope you don't side but gun control gun safety gun education protected amendments to the constitution mental health better mental health care school mental health care more money to mental illness programs safety assessments always include a risk factor called access sides are not access to that which a person plans to use to harm is a key in deciding if a person is safer or riskier to release or to commit Think about that. Whether you like having guns or not, whether you like having gun control or not, a mental health assessment, which by the way, whether you like improving mental health and improving mental health care or not, looking at safe questions will assess whether or not a a person who expresses some indication of harm can access items of harm. Hang on a minute, I'm going somewhere. Do the patients of mental health providers express something of violence, radical views, death-related, prejudice-driven, and rigid harm-focused statements? That's one part of the assessment. And if yes, does the patient express a plan if they were to act on their view? If yes, have they ever thought of this before? And if yes, have they ever done this or acted on this thought in any way before? This part is key in assessing safety. I've already said it. Does the person have access to that which would aid them in their thought and then aid them in their plan? If yes, can they plan otherwise? The protective part. And even then, does the person have or show volition to follow something that they agree to? Meaning, can they actually control their own thoughts and actions? If no, and access exists, a plan exists, and thoughts exist with some history, the issue of illness said I'd come back to it, is paramount. It is here. There is a commitment and an acute crisis scenario. The patient indicating a symptom of illness. Get this for just a second. The symptom of illness is the paramount crisis. It is made up of a statement, a thought, a plan, and access to succeed in harming others or self. There it is. 
access to things that enable harm is a part of a symptomatic conclusion in mental health safety assessments. Access to harm can mean a lot of things. This one is about children who were killed by a shooter using a gun. That's not the only thing in looking at excess. You could see like those who might kill themselves, they are not like cowards or they are not people who cannot face things. They are ill. Most people get this about suicide. Suicide's a symptom, not a behavior. Now, let's get homicidal folks. Those who are dangerous to others. And I know this alternative view that I've already touched on about three times so far. And I've approached it cautiously, believe it or not, is so, so hard to hear. But those who are dangerous to others, those who might kill others, do not have evil in their hearts. They do not have rights to the freedom to access guns either. They are symptomatic and ill, and they are in need of structured treatment, which often includes asking the police to hold them against their will in order to get them into care. And people who are suicidal who will not voluntarily go to care can also be deferred to law enforcement. But again, these are sick people. Don't call that an excuse. Very few, if any, will talk about how the mental health industry goes about treating the unsafe people in our nation every single day. We don't. Specifically, we can't talk about it. HIPAA and confidentiality. Now, we can break that in order to ensure people are safe. Look, therapists tell family members and patients of family members and family members of patients, sorry, every day when there's a safety question mark, we say things like, lock up the guns. If you can't lock them up, get them out of the house. We also say things like lock up the prescriptions and lock up the acetaminophen. Lock up the silverware or the knives or the sharps. Get rid of the razor blades. We do that because we want to prevent access to that which can lead a person to harm. You know, the person who's thinking of harm, who is symptomatically ill, Let's look at access and prevention. I've already mentioned risk assessments and profiling of people who have a propensity to harm is actually possible. If you're going to profile, however, and it's going to be an accurate assessment, it has to include the protective factors as well. It can't be a one-sided assessment. This other idea, more guns to schools. Teachers carrying guns. You know, I think... Texas is making the news a lot in a lot of ways in this particular scenario. Odd that the NRA National Conference is being held, I believe, today in Texas. A nonprofit that doesn't pay taxes. Before we get all on to the nonprofit bad NRA, there's a whole lot of nonprofits out there who are not paying taxes different podcasts. Look, more guns to school means more guns will be shot. And it doesn't matter who brings them. That means no matter why they are shot, someone will die. 
I have to say it, and it's hard to say it, but consider just putting the guns away. Hard to say it? Look, I know people who have guns are boiling if they listen to this right now because they're good people. They're doing everything right. They want to have an ability to hunt and do the fun things that they do, and they also want to have the ability to protect themselves. And there are people in this world, I'm sorry, in this country who are so dangerous in the places in which they live, having a gun may actually be necessary, whether you like hearing that or not. It's a hard topic to talk about, this whole idea. But look, consider locking up the guns. Stop arguing over rights and stop fearing the loss of the guns that you already own. Stop blaming the police and stop blaming the devil and stop blaming the mental health care system. Stop blaming the Democrats and stop blaming the Republicans. Let's put the brakes on this stuff. Start looking at how to create something safe and something safer. So what about this gun control, mental health police and political blaming rage thing going on right now? It's not about that. It's about the dead kids. It's about those parents and the families of those dead kids, the murdered people. It's also about ill people who could not be stopped for a society that has many structures that aid violence in so many ways. Hard to hear, right? That our culture is a factor too. Blaming, I'm sad to say, escalates us all to the point that problem-solving is hindered. That's scientific. I deal with it every day in anger management, in stress reduction, in de-escalation, and in conflict and problem-solving. And there's brain science that says problem-solving is hindered when escalation occurs. An alternative view is that mental health and limiting access to guns both must happen. Healthcare must be changed too. I've talked about that in a podcast. Yeah, I said it, I know. But it's about how that healthcare under insurance systems alone may be adding to the ills of our country because the time is restricted in care. The care is not the goal first. The limit of the payer and how much time you have to care is what's driving care many, many times. Look, there's plenty of blame to go around, you know? It's not working, this side-taking thing. I've said plenty about health insurance, but people are not doing things in health insurance because they're bad or evil. I think everybody's trying to find a way. Notice what I said. I think everybody's trying to find a way. The idea that they're bad or wrong, there's got to be another view. There's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work in all of the institutions that we're talking about. Look, blaming just doesn't work, even if there is plenty to go around. It's it's not working, this side-taking thing. It doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in businesses. It doesn't work in churches. It doesn't work in sports programs, even. Blaming and side-taking. The good and the bad, the one-up, down, the this thing is hurting us all. And in today's podcast, we're kids were killed by a killer with a gun, blame might even be distracting us from our collective trauma and our collective concerns that must be about the care of something
No one makes a mess like this on purpose. Look, if you want to have a discussion and argue with somebody about making a mess on purpose, have fun with that. It's not going to work. Even if a mental health professional concluded that a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath or a depressed person, a delusional person or a drug or a drunk person or someone who can't even fully comprehend what it is that they do were to jump into a discussion about what the causes were, they would have to talk about the symptoms and the treatment and yes, it would talk about access to those things that make harm possible and the prevention of that. Symptoms and excess. Jim Jeffries, a comedian who one of my daughters asked me to watch with her one evening some years ago, is from Australia, I believe. He talks about guns, constitutional amendments, the position of rights to own and carry, locking them up, and irreverently he even talks about crazy people. And he's not a citizen of the United States and he's not accustomed to the U.S. culture. He takes a humorous approach to these topics in a, in a stand-up that he does. Bad timing, I know. It is. But, but this thing about Jim Jeffries and gun control and the way he goes about it, humorously and all, he covers so many of the cultural dynamics that is rather unique the United States of America. Culture. 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 The whole culture is that which makes this mess possible. It's not a party. It's not a nonprofit. It's not a healthcare system. It's not an amendment. It's not a violent gaming market. It's not any one person either. Except for that unserved unsafe person you see, unsafe people, these change everything that we do, ill or not, in a culture. And when it comes down to safe and unsafe, if there's one unsafe risk in a culture, fortunately or unfortunately, like it or not, the larger collective culture must adjust. Safety must be increased and increasingly a traumatized country like ours lashes out. A traumatized country? Sure. For many, this concept is not new. Cultural trauma, historical trauma, lifelong trauma, generational trauma. There's some science to that topic as well. It's just that many don't even know that it's a thing. Traumatized country. Institutional racism is trauma, for example. And there are victims in the injured and in the privileged when you look at a traumatized country. Trauma's everywhere. I treat PTSD. My bias is I see trauma almost everywhere. Look, remember those images from the Ukraine? And now the faces of the dead boys and girls? Look, we're traumatized collectively, trust me. And we have been for generations, frankly. Did you know that Jim Jeffries' birth country of Australia has a unique, well, it's unique to the United States anyway. Our culture, it's unique. But they have a unique culture in Australia? First of all, it is a free country. That's common to the US culture. But 
It's a country with a national regulation system on guns. Hold your breath for a minute before you get all unglued about that. And it has a national health care system. National, I said. Notice that both national sets of institutions exist there. Full access to health care for all and full control over items like guns. In just about every country in the world, and I'm bold enough to gamble, that every country in the world that has full health care for all and full control over items like guns is a country that is not having this repetitive trauma people killing people in mass shootings for all kinds of reasons but first of all full health care and full gun control those countries are not having these discussions and they aren't burying their babies and their TVs and their podcasts and their radios and their newspapers and their digital devices aren't being flooded with the images of another set of dead people week and month and year after week and month and year. They aren't. For whatever you have to say, there's something to be said about that. I don't have the best answers. No one does. In random thoughts, I attempt to bring up alternatives and views that move things to a shift that might help. Might. I'm not free of bias. Just take a scan of my podcast and you'll find plenty. The issue is, can we talk about our biases? Not attacking the other person's biases. That's what we keep doing. But can we talk about our own? Even that can get a person in trouble. From the place of care and compassion. From the place of problem solving and openness. And I dare say connection. Can we talk about our own biases, away from rage, away from blame, away from even mild attacking? Look, I don't mean attack in some context other than unsafe attacks on self or others. I mean, the bottom line is, from rage and from blame and from attacking of any kind, escalation is the result, and in escalation, people just cannot see clearly. Here's a little bit of the science. And I've already said I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm not a neurobiologist or a neurologist. But the little that I can put together is that adrenaline, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine arise in escalation. And when it does, reasoning, because other parts of the brain get impacted by the fight-or-flight hormones and energy boosts, which would be needed in actual unsafety. If you and I are blaming and raging and lashing out at each other, we must be aware that our own logical brain is being impacted such that it doesn't process very well. You see, even our side-taking can be explained in some science as the biology of escalation is the alteration of logic. Maybe it's not good or bad. And maybe it's changeable. The saddest and harder part of this reality is that we cannot bring those children and those teachers back. For those so inclined, we will not ever get a chance to treat the unsafe person who murdered children and teachers in a school with a gun. 
This part of our collective consciousness hurts a lot. This part of our collective psyche is traumatically impacted again. We all could use some therapy, I'm sure. To make a change in all of these messes, and there's a lot of them here, it will take safe people, the ones who are not being driven by adrenaline, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, splashing the logical brain such that the hippocampus can't even work correctly. Those safe ones will be the people who can consider an alternative view, one that is other than being right or wrong. What about the unsafe ones? Access to guns is a problem. And equal and full access to healthcare is a current problem too. They are not mutually exclusive and the idea that they're being separated is a part of a division that is not rooted in the scientific evaluation and assessment for symptoms of risk of harm. I did not just say that no access to guns is the solution. And I did not just say that equal access to healthcare is the solution. I said that access to guns is a problem. And I said full access to healthcare is a problem. And I also said they are not mutually exclusive. I did say that restricting access to guns and having equal access to health care, once implemented by the safest ones of our society, will contribute to making us all better. What you already have, you're not going to lose. Chill. And we're not really talking about you anyway. We're talking about making this place safer. Mental health is one part of the story, and guns are too. In assessing safety, these two cannot ever be separated. Access matters. And the lives of those who have a right to be alive matter. When we can see a way, clearly and collectively there is a way. If we see who caused the problem, that's all we can see, and a solution is out of you. Today's podcast is by far the most intense one that I've done in my own judgment of it since I started these a couple years ago. They're plenty random, I know, but random thoughts from a therapist have been random. I don't do weekly posts, I don't have a schedule or a marketing plan or a strategy or a marketing agency, and I don't have a lot of free time. I do have to conclude this today because it is necessary. If you're not sure about safety, please consider this one thing. You need help. And going to get help is what you need. And it's okay to ask for help. I know if you listen to the news that talks about people like you, it creates some shame. If you're unsure if you're safe, you need help. And it's okay to get it. Period. Calling 911, going to the nearest emergency room. These are things that you can do to get help and to get safe. If you think you're going to harm yourself or you're going to think, if you think you're going to harm others, and if you can't stop harming yourself and if you can't stop harming your others or self, get help. If you have a family member who you're unsure about when it comes to safety and unsafety, it's okay for you to seek help too. 
shaming the sick and blaming them or blaming yourself and others, maybe feeding the secrecy around accessing care, it's okay once again to voluntarily ask for help. Out yourself if you need help. Questioning illness is what this is about. It's okay. Questioning safety is what this is about. It's okay. Talking about illness and safety is okay. And finding a way to get there is okay. If you're unsafe or you're unsure, 911 and the emergency room are ways to get help right now. You can call 800-273-TALK. That's an option. 24 hours a day. Somebody's there on a crisis line right now if you need them. And texting 741-741 will connect you with someone too. Again, it's okay. Like therapists and medical professionals everywhere, I work with patients who at times are questionably safe and questionably unsafe. I've worked in schools and I've worked with many youth and I've worked with many adults too. I have a favorite population and I have a not-so-favorite population, but I work with all of them. Risk assessments and protective assessments can be done in school settings where children need a counseling program or they need access to a counselor. And there are ways to do those assessments in a very effective, predictive way that actually profiles those who are safe and those who are unsafe so that medical, clinical help for the ill can be provided. Safety changes all that we do, and it changes all that we can do. Unsafety changes all that we do and all that we can do as well. Blaming and psych-taking escalates us. We have to move away from the fight stage. We have to get to the place where it probably all comes from. Care, compassion, and action. A place of care, compassion, and action. Getting there is key. And this is my view and it is my take and random thoughts from a therapist.